Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Evening. To remind you too that Neil and Danette Childs will be here a week from Sunday. Woohoo! Come prepared to be a blessing. Uh, down the road a piece, I don't remember the exact date, uh, but our next guest speaker on the horizon is a couple that hasn't been here in a number of years. Kelly and Connie McClellan, of pioneers. They spent uh, they spent their career on the mission field. Uh, they were there for I don't know how long. They were in Indonesia. Uh, you remember the great report we got from Gary Crowell that Indonesia is now 25 or 30 percent Christian. They were in that mission field when it was maybe one percent Christian, and not just non-Christian but anti-Christian. It was not a not a easy place. Uh, hard, but, but what I'm saying is, it's people like Kelly and Connie who went in and did the hard work broke up that ground that I believe we're now seeing fruit from the seeds that have been sown for decades uh, in uh, Southeast Asia. So uh, keep that in mind. I'll get you those dates as, uh, as soon as I get back to my office. I'll send an email update out about some stuff uh, on Friday. And tonight, I'm going to return to something we were looking at on Sunday. Maybe it's a bonus message on Philippians, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But uh, you can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Just can't seem to completely move on from this passage, but I didn't want to spend another Sunday on it, so uh, we'll talk about it a little bit tonight. And we can start in verse 9. This is after, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll work backwards to it. Uh, Starting in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I spent some time Sunday, again, talking about that, about how every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And some of them are going to be doing it under duress, as it were. And they're going to be crying out and confessing what they finally recognize, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they'll be bowing before him, but it's going to be too late to change their eternal destiny. It's a moment of vindication for those who have suffered for the gospel and suffered for their belief in Christ. But it is a moment of, uh, that's going to lead to the damnation of those who have not yet bowed their knee or confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And how horrible it's going to be for them, those who have rejected him up until that moment. And how right before that in this verse, we read about how Jesus, or in in this passage, how Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And how right before that, it says... Let this mind also be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And the central point of that passage is this. 
Focus more on your responsibilities than on your rights. You do have some rights, don't you, as believers in Christ. You, you are uh, entitled. And when I say the word entitled, I mean that in, in what I think is the strictest definition. It doesn't mean you deserve it. We, none of us deserve to be saved. But because we are in Christ, we are entitled to certain benefits. Right? And those rights are a result of our fathers, our heavenly fathers, great love for us. But let's look back at this very familiar uh, passage in Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 25 when Jesus is speaking and he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, it's important to recognize, I wonder when some people attack uh, what they see as the heresy of the health and wealth gospel, uh, if they read this passage, you know, they grasp one side of, of the truth, which is don't focus on getting things. And here he's talking more or less about basic necessities, food, clothing, and shelter, right? But we know there's, there are rich promises beyond that. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But he's not saying, I guess the way I've heard it, it almost sounds like they're saying, don't worry about whether you get these things or not. That's not what's important. What's important is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But that's not all it's saying. It's saying, Seek first those things, and these things will be added to you. That's a promise. He's not saying you shouldn't want these things or think about them. He said don't worry about them because God loves you and he knows you need them. He's going to take care of you as long as you are seeking him first. And on top of these promises for our basic needs, we also have his precious promises for healing, protection, and abundance. And I've said it before, but I think the reason it's such a struggle for some people sometimes to walk in the manifest blessings and promises of God is because we view faith as a crowbar that we use to pry these things out of the arms of God when that's not God's viewpoint at all. He longs to give us these things, but he does require faith. It's just that's not what faith is. I'm going to work my faith on God and get these things from him. No, faith is a rest. It is we rest in the assurance that he greatly desires to give us these things if we will just seek him. Back to the Philippians thing. Uh, actually, here's another passage that speaks to 
what we just read there, or what we read even on Sunday. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, this is right after the chapter 11, which is uh, often called the Hall of Faith, where we have all these great examples of faithful women and men down through the ages who demonstrated their faith and uh, won great victories and so forth. In, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now, first of all, this word witnesses, the way that this looks and the way I've heard it preached, and it preaches pretty good. <laughs> I just want, to, uh, I want you to be aware of what it's not really saying here. What, what it looks like is this great cloud of witnesses, all these Old Testament heroes that we just read about are in the grandstand, as it were, looking down, cheering us on, watching us. And so since we have all these great men and women of faith who've gone on before us, and, and, and by implication, every believer that's gone on before us are watching us since we have this heavenly audience, therefore we ought to strive to do the things that God has called us to do. That's really not what it means here. The witnesses that he's talking about here are the lives of these people. It's their testimony. It's, it's, it's really more of a legal term. Uh, if you picture standing before the great judge in eternity, giving an account of your life and saying, well, I couldn't do this because it was too hard. And then we bring in the witnesses who say, uh, you want to talk about hard? Let me tell you what I went through back in the Old Testament days before the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh and so forth. So, so if we have the witnesses, the testimony of the lives that have gone before us, considering the age we live in with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, being born again. So we've got the testimony of these lives that have gone before us that, that cause us to recognize that with everything we have available to us, we can certainly live lives that are pleasing to God. Now, there's a number of things we can say about this passage, but I'll save most of them for when we go through this book someday. And right now, though, I want to focus on verse 2, which says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And most of you know what that joy is. It certainly wasn't the joy of the cross. He wasn't, woohoo, finally, I get to go to the cross. He dreaded that like any man would. The joy that was set before him was what was on the other side of the cross. The joy that was set before him was you and me responding to that, availing ourselves of the mercy that is ours because of the cross. The joy that was set before him was all of us reconciled to God, Jesus knowing that the only way we could be was through the cross. So that's why he endured it, for that joy, and we are that joy. So I ask again, what are we willing to endure for the sake of seeing one unbeliever be converted into a disciple of Christ? You've heard it can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. 
and we always think about money. But really, you can walk in faith, watch your confession, and get your healing. Walk in divine health. You experience prosperity. You walk in divine protection. All the blessings that, again, our faith has a role to play in these things. We can't just say, you know, like many do, well, I believe in Jesus, and if he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. If he wants to heal me, he'll heal me. If he doesn't, he'll give me the strength to die with dignity, whatever. Uh, We speak God's word over circumstances. We speak God's word over our lives, and we expect the circumstances to change. We expect our lives to change, right? But as we do this and therefore walk in these blessings, we need to understand we're not going to be rewarded in heaven because of the degree to which we experience God's blessings on earth. Those are, our, those are some of our earthly rewards. We're not going to be, there will be rewards in heaven, that's clear. Eternal rewards. But you're not going to be, you did a great job of getting your healing, so you're, I'm going to put you in charge of ten cities. You really walked out the prosperity message, so I'm going to make you a ruler over a hundred cities. That's not how it works. Those things are for here and now. You don't need healing in heaven. You don't need earthly riches in heaven, right? You don't need protection in heaven. What lasts forever? God lasts forever. God's word lasts forever. And people last forever. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be sharing God and sharing God's word with people. Remember the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's what we are called to do. Yes, God loves us because we are his children. But do you remember that he loved you before you were saved? He loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The heartbeat of God is still for the lost and dying. Our purpose in life is to save souls. John Wesley uh, had, uh, tw- I think it was 12 rules for helpers. Helpers was uh, the, the, the term he used for a, a group of people that surrounded him, kind of uh, learned from him. They were lay speakers. They were people that, that were sort of disciples of Wesley, and he trained them to go and preach. And this is one of his rules. He said this, You have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. Observe, it is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can and bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance and with all your power build them up in that holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. That's pretty bold. And you think about that, and I've got to be careful here, because I, there, there are good organizations that are helpful to society and different uh, subsets in society. And I'm not saying we can't be involved in those things. But our business, and I've said this before, when a good cause comes along, the first thing I want to know is, is there a Christian connection? Uh, if we're building houses or feeding the poor or clothing the naked, that's all well and good. But if, we're, if, but if we've got two different organizations who are doing this, I'm going to support the one that is preaching the gospel. Because I don't want to clothe them till they die and watch them go to hell. 
So that's why I love that line in there. It's not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can. Do you remember, uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, I know John loves this one, Moody's List. Dwight Moody carried around a, a list of 100 names. I forget how many years he carried this around, but he made a list of 100 people he personally knew that he wanted to see saved. And before he died, 96 of them had confessed Christ as Lord, and the last four came to Christ at his funeral. He prayed for them daily. He prayed for them daily, but he didn't just pray. He preached. Now, you will notice, as you read through particularly the epistles, the letters, which is where we're at now in Paul's epistles, that a lot of it has to do with what is Christian behavior. You know, we read this part uh, in, in Philippians a couple of weeks ago. We read the tail end of it again uh, the other day. And then he moves right from that powerful truth to saying, therefore, live this way. You remember, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Uh, wow, that's kind of a great, big, glorious truth to a very pedestrian application, right? But all of these things, and it's not just that. Of course, he gets, very, he gets much more specific uh, later on, and in other letters, talks about don't do this. There's a whole list of, of things. This, these, these things should not characterize the life of a believer. He'll really hit that hard uh, in Colossians, as a matter of fact. Avoid these things, because these are the things that are bringing the wrath of God on the world. Uh, here's the things in, the, in Philippians. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are beautiful, think on these things. These are the things that ought to characterize a believer. Why? Why is there so much emphasis on Christian behavior? There are two main reasons. And one is this. It is impossible to please God without faith. And obedience to God is the highest expression of faith. If we really do believe God, if we really have faith, we will obey him. Number two is this, that Christian behavior sets us apart from the world around us. Paul said that in the passage of Philippians that we read on Sunday, that you shine as lights in the darkness. People ought to know you are a Christian even before you tell them, but then you still have to tell them. I don't know how many of you, how many of you know that I like hot stuff, food, hot food, hot sauce, hot salsa, peppers, things like that. How many of you know that? Okay, how many of you know that because one day I came up and told you, guess what, I love hot stuff. You probably know it because maybe we went out to eat and I ordered hot sauce or I had a bottle in my pocket that I brought with me. Or you went into my office and you saw the two display cases I have of empty hot sauce bottles that I collect. And then if we start talking about it, then it's my delight to tell you, here are the kind of hot sauces I like. I'm not into the novelty sauces. I'm into the gourmet sauces. And I can tell you about which ingredients make a good hot sauce and this and that. And then, uh, uh, so I do enjoy talking about it. But you know I, I am a uh, spicy food aficionado probably before I ever say anything about it. The difference between something like that, of course, and our witness is that I don't have to ever have a hot sauce conversation with you. I mean, you're probably going to find out that I like it if we hang out at all. And I'll find out things that you like, things that you're partial to, not just food, but activities and books, movies, whatever. 
But once our lives as Christians catch the attention of the unsaved, we have a holy obligation to tell them. We can't, they are not going to get saved by admiring our Christian lives. They're not going to be saved just because they figured out that we are a Christian. Now, it's always great when somebody actually comes up and asks you, what's the secret of your happiness? Why, are, why do you live so differently? Why don't you do this? Or maybe they challenge you on something. How come you didn't come and do this with us? And then it's, it's an open door in the conversation. Or maybe they say, hey, I can remember when you used to do these things. Why don't you anymore? Let me tell you why. It's a great opportunity. But we have to do that. Because they're not going to get saved just by watching us. What am I saying? Live the gospel. Preach the gospel. And pray for the lost. Let's enjoy the benefits of salvation. But let our heart be for the unsaved to come into that same salvation. There's plenty of blessings to go around. And our prayers should always be. And, and this is, I, I wrote about this in my uh, newsletter article that's, that'll be coming out tomorrow. Uh, just about what a summer we've had. And all the physical battles so many people in our congregation seem to have been fighting. And the busyness of the summer has been sort of compounded by that. And, you know, a couple staff members out of the office for weeks on end. And uh, it's good. It's absolutely right that we keep those in our midst lifted up in prayer and that we continue to speak God's word over our families and our lives and continue to uh, expect God's best in all these situations. But let's not let it pull our eyes off of what we are here for. Our life's purpose is to save souls. And so when we're praying, absolutely God, thank you for your protection. Thank you for healing in the Miller's household. I thank you for prosperity. I thank you for abundant, uh, having our needs met abundantly. I thank you that you are, uh, that you have given your angels charge over us and they'll bear us up lest we dash our foot against a stone. I thank you that you love us and you have good plans for us. Those are good things. Those are things that I pray over my family daily and I encourage you to do it daily. Speak health and life over your body daily. But don't ever stop there because the health and the life and the blessings are simply to equip us to do the really important work, which is to preach the gospel. That means we can't be afraid to boldly, but politely and kindly answer questions that challenge us. If you're a Christian, do you believe this about that? And, and, you know, there are some hot-button social issues. We can't be afraid to identify with biblical thought and biblical uh, values on these things. It's where we're going to stand apart. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.